Thanks for spending time with Fusion Community Church through our podcast. These can be accessed anytime through iTunes or on our website, fusioncommunity.church. We hope you enjoy today's message from Pastor Andrew Fetter. Well, hey, as we kick off a new series uh, coming out of Easter, it's going to take us all the way through Pentecost Sunday. Uh, and Pentecost is that day where, where the Holy Spirit descends on the apostles. It's really the, the birth date of the church. Uh, but before we kind of kick off this series, I want to ask you a question, a question that probably gets beneath the surface of something you've felt, maybe even in the last week, but, but surely it's something you've felt at some point in your life. And it's a question that this book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians, does a really good job at addressing. Here's the question. Have you ever had this sense that life on earth is missing something? Everything can be going really well, and, and yet there's still something missing. It doesn't mean you're not thankful. It doesn't mean that things are awful. It means that you look around with all you've experienced, with all you've seen and done, and deep down in your soul, there's moments where you've just known that you know that you know that your life here on earth is missing something, and there just has to be something more you've been created for. You can even be walking with God in faith, in Jesus, and still feel like, ah, I just feel like there's something I'm missing, something more in this life. You work hard, you make money, you pay your bills. Maybe in your field or career, you went to school for it. Maybe you started in your field right after school. You jumped right into work and you've been in that field the rest of ever since then. Maybe you've had dozens of different jobs and careers. And even today, you're thinking about a new one. Hopefully, at some point along the way, you've made friends. And there's people in life you care about and they care about you. Uh, Maybe somewhere along the line, you fell in love. You probably have had your heart broken a time or two as well. Maybe you had kids. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you had to learn what it feels like as your kids get older and they don't need you as much as they once did. And that created a little bit of a crisis in your life, looking for that something more. Uh, You probably bought stuff that you really liked and you were really proud of and was a lot of fun. And then later on, you sold stuff that you used to like and used to be a lot of fun but wasn't quite so fun anymore. You've made mistakes, you've had regrets, you've probably had some great success too, right? I mean, we have this thing that, that we create, we call them trophies. I almost got up in my attic to see what trophies I still had from like the Little League days, and uh, it was just too nice out to want to climb up in the attic and try to find stuff these last few days. Uh, but, but those trophies you hold up that you're proud of, right? Maybe some of you, you're like me, and, and you got to marry a trophy. Like, you don't even know how it happened, Maybe you married up, guys. Maybe you're like me. I remember after my first date with my wife, almost, almost 15 years ago now, uh, this June, I was in awe. I mean, I was captivated. Everything about her captivated me. I loved having conversation. We laughed together. And, and it was so awesome, that first date. Well, all except the time where I almost killed us running a red. I was so enamored with her, I drove right through a red light on Troy Schenectady Road. Not a good place to run a red, right? I slam on the brakes. And I'm driving her car because mine was broke down. Like, but we survived, and she didn't, like, get out of the car and call a taxi. There was no Uber back then. She didn't call a taxi to get home. She didn't call and ask her dad to come get her. And, uh, and I remember I waited a day or two until I asked her on a second date, and I was very nervous about what she was going to say. And, and then she said yes, and I knew. I knew she'd reached a point in her life where she was ready to settle for a guy like me, right? I mean, who says yes to a second date when the guy driving your car almost kills you in it? It's a girl who's settling. And, and I was okay with that then. I'm still okay with that now. I mean, she, she was over 30 at that time. She wanted to have kids. She met me. She's just like, eh, he'll do. He'll do. So, um, so maybe you've earned trophies in your life. Maybe you married a trophy. Maybe you married up. Maybe you have awards or plaques on the wall or on the shelf, and they remind you of a moment that was spectacular in your life. 
Maybe your trophies are packed away in a box in the attic, and you aren't even sure what's up there until I bring up this idea. You know, all of our experiences in life could be looked at as trophies, kind of figurative trophies in our mind, the good and the bad. See, there's some bad trophies that we actually have a death grip on and we're afraid to let go of. and We're carrying them forward with us, and we don't even realize how much we're building our lives on negative experiences or hurts and pains of the past. We just keep hold of them, and we don't want anybody to see them. We're not proud of them, but we kind of carry those trophies forward. There's other things that were really good and valuable to us, and we hold them up as trophies for the world to see. But real quickly, we start to think they give us worth or value or they define us. Or they're precious, and they tell the world who we are. You know, my son's on the traveling team this summer. My daughter made the dean's list. The company, man, the company I run, we've had the best year we've ever had when things have been the hardest. My division just hit all of its goals. Mom, Dad, my grades are perfect. My car says a lot about who I am. My house tells the neighborhood how much I'm worth. My degree gives me credibility. My title at work gives me respect. My bank account brings me great security. I mean, almost everything we think about in our lives, we can hold as precious and then subconsciously kind of present as a trophy pointing to our own efforts. It doesn't mean we do that in front of people, but sometimes in our mind, we can inflate ourselves. You ever had this sense, even when things are going great, there's got to be more than just the trophies we've received. There's got to be more than just trying to earn more of them and fill the shelf with more stuff. Because when you first get them, like they're shiny and great, they're fun to talk about, they're fun to think about. But man, they start to get dusty and they lose their luster. And where do they end up? In a box in the attic. That's kind of what this series is about. And it's using a book of the Bible, one of the letters the Apostle Paul wrote. We're going to walk through what God has to share with us to help us understand this life we have through His eyes. Wouldn't you like to look at life, your life, through the eyes of God and get some help? Now, that might seem like an audacious goal or even an audacious promise to make at the beginning of a series, but but I think if we take this journey together over the next five weeks, we don't miss any of the pieces as we go through the book of Ephesians, I think you're going to see God uses this book of the Bible to do exactly this, to help us look at life on earth with our limited time here, which is short, through His eyes, and to discover the more He's made us for. And, and to push past what we normally settle for. Now, no book was originally written with chapters and verses. Um, maybe you thought they were. They weren't. We kind of just added those later because we wanted to be able to find stuff when we opened it up. But the way God used the Apostle Paul to write the book of Ephesians is really in two parts. There's part A and part B, the first half and the second half. And the way they've kind of been broken down into chapters is the first three chapters and the second three chapters. So over six Sundays, we're going to look at a chapter a week. Now, to get the most out of this series, or really any series, I encourage you to take it seriously. And so very, very simply, I want to kind of challenge you to consider reading each chapter of Ephesians every day the week after we've talked about it. So this week, read chapter 1 of Ephesians. It's only 23 verses. It it takes you two minutes, maybe three minutes to read the entire thing. And then sit for two or three minutes and just kind of reflect on it. What's God saying to you? What's He encouraging you with? What is He challenging you with? What sticks out to you? What warms your heart? What stretches you? What convicts you? What might God say to you through a simple five-minute exercise of reading through the words each week? And how might God speak more loudly to you on Sundays in the message or when you watch it online than uh, if you've already got the content of his word in this, in this book of the Bible. 
Uh, we've also set up a, a second way that you can kind of take it seriously is we've set up a 30-day devotional journey. And uh, the way to access this is actually within the app. Uh, there'll be a video coming out through email later today that Pastor Corey's going to walk through where to look for it. But if you're on the app in the top right corner, there's a messaging feature. Uh, you, can, you can view prayer requests and share prayer requests there. Uh, you, you, have the con- you have control to actually chime in and create a profile and share. You can also be in an open conversation. It's kind of like a church foyer digitally, but there's also a new one you can discover that says daily devotional. So you can just go there every morning, and the devotional for that day is going to be posted there. But then you, what's cool about it is you can go and comment, hey, I thought this really spoke to me, this encouraged me, and you can see other people's comments as well. So there'll just be kind of a running thread of conversation with these daily devotionals. The point is you'll get out of the next six weeks what you're willing to put into it. If you just show up and, and, and sit in the gathering and then leave and don't think about it, that's what you're going to get out of it. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the majority, a lot of the New Testament of the Bible, more books than anybody else. Some of the letters he wrote, he was writing while he did ministry. Other letters he wrote while he was in prison because of his ministry. And Ephesians is one of those letters written in prison. It's written to a group of people that he would actually spend a few years of his life ministering to in the city of Ephesus. All of Paul's letters were written to specific Jesus followers in specific cities, in specific contexts. And some of them... In some of the letters Paul wrote, he would address like specific issues the church was struggling and ways to address them, or, or he would kind of challenge, challenge them to take steps in certain areas, or he would even identify specific people by name uh, in those letters. But in Ephesians, Paul doesn't do that at all. This is much more a formal letter, and it kind of gets beneath the surface. It's a deeper level. It deals with the core of what it means to follow Jesus in any setting. And Paul divides this letter into two clear segments. The first three chapters is part A, and that's where he talks about the real guts of our faith in Jesus. What is it about what God has done in Jesus that has transformed who we are? And then the second part, the last three verses is, okay, now what are the implications of this? What is the life God is calling us to live, and he's given us his power to live it? What does that life look like? What's the lifestyle of someone following after Jesus look like? How we can continue to learn to live increasingly set free in every area of life. And you know, the life that God calls us to live is not something he forces on us, is it? He doesn't force us. He loves us. He draws us to himself. He he tries to inspire and motivate us. He reveals the truth to us, but he ultimately wants us to choose to trust him more and to begin to be obedient and submitted and surrendered to the way of life that he's showing us how to live, that he models for us in Jesus. So we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Feel free to turn there with me. Go to it on your phone or open your Bible if you have it. Uh, It will be on the screen as well for those of you that are lazy. So uh, starting in verse 3. Just seeing if you're still with me. That's all. I didn't really mean you were lazy. Uh, Starting in verse 3, because the first two verses, he just says, hey, it's me, it's Paul, and writing to my friends. And so this is what he says in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Think about it. At the beginning of this letter, to a church of, these people already believe in Greece. 
And Paul cares deeply about them. What does he start? He starts with celebrating the fact that Jesus is, is more wonderful, more worthy, more deserving, more glorious than we could possibly ever imagine. He is so much more than we could ever wrap our minds around. He's got to be the first thing he talks about. I, I mean, just look, look at this slide. Here's a number of different things. I can't even fit it on the side. I have to cover up the whole screen. This is everything he touches on, that Jesus is so much more. He says, we are united with God now only because of Jesus. That's the only way it's possible. He says, God loves us so much, he sent Christ to be the demonstration and the model of that love. So we would never forget how much we matter to God. He says, because of Jesus, we can be holy now without fault in his eyes. Some of you this morning on the way here in the car, you were talking about the faults of the other person riding in the car with you, the things that irritate you. And now you can lift your head up high because of Jesus. You are without fault in his eyes. Maybe not in your spouse's eyes. Maybe not in the person you rode with. But in Jesus' eyes, you are. He says, through Jesus, we can now be adopted. Adoption is an option. And more than just being an option, the creator of the universe experiences pleasure adopting you. Even if you've never felt wanted by any other person on the planet, the God of the universe wants you. He says our freedom was purchased by Jesus, purchased and given by the one who laid down his life. Jesus, he says, is a symbol of the kindness of God. Look to Jesus as a symbol of the grace of God at work. He says that his blood shed on the cross is what forgives our sin. And in addition to his kindness revealed in Jesus, he says, God showers us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, in your day-to-day -day life, do you marinate in those statements and live influenced by these truths? I mean, some days we'd probably say, yeah, those thoughts are on our mind. And it brings awe to our hearts. It's amazing what God has done for us. But I think probably we'd also be honest to say, but many days we don't. We get so caught up in, in the circus. We get caught up in the fast pace. We just try to get from one thing to the next. We try to survive this thing so we can get to the next thing. And we oftentimes miss out on the more Jesus offers us. And we're not talking about more stuff. We're not talking about more blessings. We'll get to that in this series. What's the more that we're actually looking for? Throughout this last year, all the struggles that it's brought, so many of us have had opportunities to drive deeper in our faith. And yet statistics tell us that there's many, many Jesus followers across our country that have actually drifted farther from God because things got harder and weirder than normal. And we just didn't want to try harder to find God in the middle of the mess. And then oftentimes we feel incredibly guilty, right? When we know that we're in, that we're in a, a hole of our own making, when we don't do what we feel we should do, then what do we feel? We feel guilt and shame. What if our first concern was not trying harder to do certain things that we associate with religious obligations? Oftentimes, I think the reason we feel guilty or shame for not doing what we feel we should do is because we're actually focused on the exact wrong thing. We get too caught up in this list of things that we have to do. What if instead we simply started to just become more obsessed with Jesus? What if we just became more, we, we, we began, you know, this is barbecue season, right? Maybe you barbecued yesterday. It's a great season for marinating meat. What if we chose to just marinate in the truth of things like Ephesians 1 that just talk about how great God is, how good he is? How does that change our hearts to want to trust him more when we reflect and, and sit in the fact of how much he's loved us so much more than we deserve? I mean, what would change in your life if your thoughts and feelings were growing every week, more heavily influenced and directed by the truth about what Jesus has done for you than anything else? 
that what he's done is finished. That the work of grace, it's finished, it's complete, it's done, it's available. You don't have to try harder to get him to forgive you. You don't need more effort on your part. You just need more Jesus in everyday life. And you can make that shift from focusing on more effort to focusing on more Jesus. Every week of this series, we're going to look at kind of a, a countercultural shift that ties into the text of that chapter. How do we live the masterpiece life God says we were made for? Well, the first shift is moving from more effort and trying harder to just focusing more on Jesus. It's so easy to become engulfed in the day-to-day responsibilities that we lose sight of Jesus, right? I mean, you can do spiritual things without focusing on God's Spirit or Jesus at all. I mean, some of you might have been doing this even today. Some of you might be doing this right now, watching the live stream, participating, right? I mean, you can participate in worship, just go through the motions, but your heart is not filled with wow and awe. It's not really worship if your heart is not filled with wow and awe that, man, God is here, He's present, and, and He wants to speak to us, and He wants us to know who He is, and, and he, wants to, he wants us to hear from His Word. He wants us to experience that joy. Right, We can be kind of distracted with the phone at home or get up and get a cup of coffee. Even here, you can be here present in presence, but your mind can be far from here. You can be easily distracted. You can pray to God without faith that he hears you or he's going to do anything. Right, You can just go through the motions. I'm supposed to do this, so I'll do it. Or, or I can pray on a Sunday, and you just kind of sit there, and you just kind of drift, and yeah, I don't even really know what the prayer was about, and I wasn't really engaged, and I wasn't believing God was hearing us. I wasn't believing that God wants to bless us, that he wants to move. You can serve someone purely out of obligation. Well, nobody else sees this person that needs something, so I guess it's up to me to do, and have no joy whatsoever. And miss the opportunity to experience the blessing of God for serving someone. You can suffer personally and the entire time be miserable and bitter and miss the moment where Jesus wants to meet you in your pain. Right? I mean, we can do so many spiritual things, religious things, that are all about religion and not about relationship. We've all been guilty of that. And we all know we'll never find Jesus in those places. Not in doing them without any thought or consideration. So at the end of chapter 1, Paul gives us a picture of what more of Jesus, which is kind of like a, you know, like a crazy thing. What does it mean, more of Jesus in everyday life? He's actually going to offer to us what it looks like in a prayer that he writes down for the church, both then, but also applies to us now in verse 16 of Ephesians 1. This is what Paul says, and I'm just going to kind of summarize the next seven verses because all of us are going to read it every day anyways this week. He says, I pray for you constantly. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. What's Paul saying? He's saying Jesus is more than any other. He's so much more. And then he ends with this. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the world. No. For the benefit of society. No. For the benefit of an economy. No. For the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. You catch that last verse? I mean, this is big. 
This is a big statement God has given us in his word. Here's what this last verse means. Think about right now, if you could kind of, if somebody leaned into you with the mic and, and you had to think up, okay, what's, what's the biggest problem facing our world right now? And for you, that might mean, you know, globally. For you, it might mean our nation. It might mean our state. Maybe for you, like right now, you're just thinking about your home, your family. There's things going there. And you're just like, what's the one thing we need more than ever? If you were to put your finger on one thing, what would it be? Maybe it's compassion. Maybe it's we just need truth. We need the truth to be said. We, we need peace. Or, or maybe you'd say love, just more love for one another. Maybe you would say in light of everything that's happened in the last year, there just needs to be justice. Maybe you would say we just need healing. Maybe you look around and you're like, man, people, we need common sense. Maybe you look at how, you know, for years, decades, how, how not only government but, but society handles finances. And it's like we just need to learn how to balance a budget and live within our means. Maybe you look and say, we just need honesty. Somebody, we just need that honorable honesty to be something we shoot for and aspire to again. We just need forgiveness or we need to listen to one another. Whatever you think the biggest problem is right now, this verse speaks of the solution. It says the church is his body. We're the body of Jesus. It's made full and complete by Christ. And he fills all things everywhere with himself. Every hole, every gap, everything that's missing is filled by Jesus. Every piece of you, there's got to be more, there's got to be more, there's got to be a solution. Whatever it is, it can only be filled by the creator and redeemer. The reason it's broken, the reason it's empty is because of sin. He's the one that heals and satisfies and makes whole what was broken. And any other attempt to try to solve it or fix it or fill it, it won't last. It won't last. And this verse tells us God wants to fill the earth with Jesus. He says he's filled his church with Jesus so that we can bring the son of God and fill everywhere we are. You know, so, so often we get so preoccupied with what we need to do. And even maybe right now in your life, like you're praying hard. You're just, there's just a big decision you need to make. You know, the implications of it are huge. And you're just like, okay, God, what do I do? What do I do? God, what do I do? God, what do I do? I don't know, God. God, what do I do? You got to help me, God. The time's getting close. I got to make a decision. God, what do I do? What if that's the wrong question to ask? What if that's the wrong question to ask? I mean, think about it. At the beginning of this letter, The whole first chapter, there's an outline here that Paul uses. The first thing he talks about, who God is. Second thing, what Jesus has accomplished. The third thing, who we are now as the body. And get it, these things never change no matter what we do. They never change no matter what we do. Those three things, can you go back that one slide for me, Renee? Those three things, who God is, what he's done, and who we are now because of him, no matter what we do, those things don't change. He'll always be the same, unchanging. Jesus has accomplished the the, uh, redemptive potential of the cross. It is finished, and now he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and when we confess, that's always going to be the case. We get those things figured out first, that what we do comes easy. And Paul prays for us then in light of these things. And what does he pray for? Does he pray that, you know, I just pray, God, that they do, they try harder. I pray they use all their gifts and abilities and are effective for the mission you've given them. I just pray, God, I pray for these specific things that the world will just be in awe of of what they can do. No. Paul doesn't pray, I hope the kingdom of God is seen through everything they do. No, this is what he prays. Think about it. Are these external things or internal things? Here's a list of what we just read. He says, God, give them wisdom. That's an internal change, isn't it? 
That's internal. That's nothing about what we do. That's a gift from God. He says, help them grow in the knowledge of God. Flood their hearts with light. Help them understand the confident hope we have. Hope is not an external thing. It's an internal thing. It's because we realize that who we are has been fundamentally transformed. And we're not bound by the same, the same curse we once were. We're alive now. We've been resurrected. He says that, Lord, help them to recognize the glorious inheritance we've been given. What we've been blessed with. What the rest of eternity looks like. He says, God, help them understand the incredible greatness of God's power in us as the body, as your body. And even says, through faith, through believing that the power of God is at work. He also prays this. I mean, this is exactly what we just said, the first two things, that we know who God is. Help them know who you are and help them know how great you are. And then, Lord, help them to know Jesus is the head of it all for their benefit. I mean, this, is, this, this chapter in Ephesians 1 is the essence of Romans chapter 12, the early part of Romans chapter 12, when Paul writes to the church of Rome, he says, don't conform any longer to the pattern in this world. The pattern in this world is broken and crazy. Don't, don't do it their way, but be transformed by renewing your mind. It's an internal shift first, aligning our thinking and our feeling to the word of God. When we align our thinking and feeling the word of God, then everything we do changes. And that's what Paul says in Romans 12. He says, then you will know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know what God's saying? What God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? He's like, wrong question. Wrong question. Don't conform to the pattern in this world trying to figure out what you need to do. That, that's the end of it. Know who you are. Know what Christ has done to make you who you are and know who the Father is who sent the Son. See, the emphasis for Paul is not on what we need to do. It's on who we need to be. And if we are, if we live in the reality of who God has redeemed us to be, we will do the things God has laid out for us to do. In fact, nothing can stop us from doing what God has called us to do, where we have courage and we have the power of God and we have faith that he's going to handle the results and we have security in him. And the resources for what he wants us to do will be covered. Paul knows that when we, the church, know who we are in Christ, nothing can stop us from doing whatever it is God calls us to do because it isn't really us doing it, is it? It's Jesus doing it through us. I want to give you kind of a statement that summarizes the first chapter of Ephesians. Maybe this helps, maybe it doesn't. But this idea, in this order, and if we get these out of order, we get mixed up really quickly. We are the children of God, redeemed by the power of God, who accomplish the mission of God in everyday life. So often we run a run to the missions we have, and do, 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 do. That has to come last. If we don't know who we are and what Christ has done, we'll never actually do what He's called us to do in His power and nearly as effective in any way compared to what he dreams for us. God's called us to saturate the world with Jesus in our everyday lives. But we are so quick, especially in our Western mindset, to think about, okay, how do we do this? How do we saturate the culture with Jesus? If we focus on the how, we lose our way. We just have to focus on Jesus. That's what Paul prays for us. You just, we just need more of our thoughts, more of our feelings, obsessed with the significance of the Son of God, obsessed with all that He's done for us, and, it, and that He is so much more than we could possibly ever imagine. And along the journey in everyday life, the mission of God will be completed and accomplished in ways far beyond what we ever thought was possible, far beyond what we could ask or imagine. I want to close with one last question, just to reflect on. 
Everywhere you go, does the gospel leak out of your life? Does the gospel leak? Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that everywhere you go, grocery store, you know, you're pumping gas at the gas station. Somebody pulls in on the other side. You go over eyeball to eyeball, but six feet apart, you know, you know, social distancing. And you're just like, hey, just want you to know, uh, do you know Jesus? And they're like, I don't know. You look crazy. It's like, well, just want you to know you're going to hell and uh, you need to pray a prayer. You need to say these words and time's running out. And if you don't get it solved, then you're going to be really miserable. So uh, just invite Jesus into your heart. Have a great day. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying the content of the gospel is accurate that it, as that is. What I'm asking is, is a deeper question. You know, what leaks out of us is what we put into us. What are you putting into your life? What matters most to you? That's what's going to leak out. If money matters most, then when there's a dip in an account, when something breaks down, it's just it's going to cause anxiety and stress. That's what's going to leak out because your life's built on that. If your life is built around a person, they get sick. They turn their back on you, say, I want nothing to do with you. Boom, your world is shattered. What you put into your life is what your life leaks. Let me give you some illustrations. Have you so deeply experienced the grace and mercy of God over all of your sin that you know you don't deserve? That when you interact with other people that drive you nuts, what leaks out of you is mercy and grace because you just want them to experience what you have. You don't have to be right. You don't have to get your way. Because you know before a holy God what you deserve. Do you live breath by breath in the truth that you are insignificant before a holy God and you don't deserve the next breath, but because of his love, because he's your dad, he generously gives you that and so much more? Is your heart and your mind so preoccupied with how awesome God is that you're overwhelmed with humility, that you even get to know him, that you get to walk through life with him? Do you see that, that your ability to be patient with somebody that's irritating is easy because you've experienced God's patience with you and you're far more irritating? Is, is your capacity to persevere when things are hard, when things don't make sense, when you wish things would change? Because you know as you persevere and you trust God, your faith grows and it points back to His faithfulness. Even though maybe something is happening around you, that you don't like, your heart is being transformed and you know he's on the throne. So you don't have to complain. You don't have to whine. You marvel and you celebrate because you know whatever he's got planned, it's always good. Even if the way there seems a little foggy and the people around you think you're crazy. Deep down, don't you know you've been made for more? A more peaceful life, a more prosperous life, even if, if nothing goes your way, a more prosperous life, because you're walking closer and closer with the one who created you and redeemed you. I mean, together, each of us who are Jesus followers, we get to be the people of God walking with our Savior. And as the end of this chapter says, we fill everything in every way because we are the body of Jesus. We are carrying the fullness of Jesus into creation. Throughout this chapter in the whole book of Ephesians, Paul shares this ongoing vision of what a Jesus-empowered, Jesus-shaped church body looks like. What it means to, to walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus. 
that the church family is going to fill every nook and cranny of our society in all sorts of different roles and professions. I'm not just talking about Sunday, Sunday gatherings. We're talking about masterpiece missions that all of us are given as missionaries in whatever field or whatever profession, in whatever neighborhood or whatever school district you're in. You have a masterpiece mission God has designed you and redeemed you to, for that's going to be the most fulfilling way you can live life. But it's only connected to Him. And as His body, collectively, we have a very unique opportunity. You ever thought about the fact that you are God's primary means to make evident His presence? I mean, think about it. We, we often think, well, the Bible, the Bible's what tells people who God is. No. The Bible's there as a tool and a resource. We've only had it in written form for about 500 years. And really, it's only been maybe a couple hundred years people have been able to read. Before that, the stories were passed on generation to generation. We have original texts to go to to prove. But for the vast majority, the, the, the Scripture was used by believers to foster our development and understanding of God, to answer this prayer of Paul. Lord, may they help, may they understand, may they grow in wisdom and knowledge of who you are. We're the image bearers of God. That's how we were created in the garden. And that's what's been redeemed through Jesus so he can fill us to be his body and carry Jesus into this world. You are the primary means to make evident the presence of God is real. How would you grade yourself lately? Where you live, where you work, where you play, what you post. And the cool thing is, we don't have to try harder to make this happen. I just got to try harder. I just got to focus more. I got to pray more. I got to read more. No, 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 no. It's not what Paul prays for. Just walk with him intentionally day by day and then start to see what he births in your life. Jesus, after all, he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So take him up on that promise. This week, begin to marinate in the truth of, Acts, or of uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Acts was a year ago. Ephesians chapter 1. This week, marinate in that truth. God, this is who you are. And this is what you've done. And this is who I get to be. You focus on that. You dwell on that. You, build, you, you dig root. You let roots grow in that. And all the fruit of that is going to happen without hardly any effort on your part because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for the, the power of your word. We thank you for the words of Paul. We thank you for the testimony of Paul. And this is someone who has a lot of authority to speak because he was an opponent of yours until he met you. His whole life was turned upside down and he became a champion for the gospel message. And the gospel is about salvation. It's about freedom from sin. It's about eternity. But it's so much more than that. It's about our dad adopting us and us getting to walk every day with every breath in our lungs, restored with our dad. May we see the grandeur of the gospel this week in a new way.